And that's why Angostura Bitters has that weird label on it. What's going on, everybody? This is the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, the podcast for cover band musicians and band leaders to learn how to rock more and suck less. In Atlanta, Georgia, I'm Adam Johnson. In Greensboro, North Carolina, I'm Dan Ray. I'm not going to bore our listeners with the reason why. You should Google it, The though. label is the way it is, the, but you should Google it. It is a fascinating story. It is a classic business blunder. The that thing got leaned into, into a as a marketing item. It's perfect. Trademark, yeah. yeah signature. Yeah. yeah. Well, how's it going, man? You know, really good. Really good. I'm coming off of a really slow month. February was really quiet and March is going to be straight bonkers. I have five, I have trivia nights every Thursday, which is five mm -hmm. Thursdays in March. And then I have two karaoke's. I got two full bands. I got, that's what I got. That's what I got. Uh, but it's a lot after March and or February in which I had one date. Um, yeah. So that starts tomorrow. We're recording this Wednesday instead of Thursday because my Thursdays through March, as I just said, are spoken for. So, so that's how bonkers it is. We had to like upend our entire production schedule. So bonkers. It had to, yeah, it messed us all up. Not mess us up. Just move things around. Change things about. That's true. Indeed. Well, actually, I had gotten an inquiry about potentially filling in for something on a Thursday. Sweet. Uh, and I was like, well, look, my uh, my book suddenly opened up. Yeah, so all of a sudden I can do that. that. Other than the fact it's a 10.30 to 1 a.m. gig Ugh. on Thursday Ugh. in at a place that is 45 minutes away oh. from my house. So I but, haven't quite decided. But you're a sub, so you can just you can play and then bounce. You don't have to. Sure, but I still have like get things home. Get to home do. at two. Yeah. Yeah, not great. So there's that. I'm mulling it over. Yeah. Well, yeah, so that's fantastic. You got uh, all that cool stuff. Now, there was, do you want to talk about the other thing that you're looking forward to? Or do we want to hold off on that? No, let's talk about that. We have this thing, this Patreon uh, Slack. We, first of all, we have a Patreon. So if you go to Patreon. Uh, get right out of town. Slash Carbon Confidential, you can join that. And if you do, at the at least $5 a month level. Which is the lowest level. Which is the lowest level. You get membership on our Slack channel. And we now have. It's re very much reached critical mass. I mean, there's a conversation happening yep. there all day long, and it's great. And one of our patrons posted recently that they have just picked up a new guitar, which is a Reverend Double Agent OG. And mm -hmm. I looked at it, and it was pretty. It's real pretty. It's real yeah. pretty. And it's been a minute since I've had a new guitar. And I like what I got, but I do like to take two guitars to a show, and the, my backup is, I don't love it. I don't love it. I, I'm happy to play it if I need to. It's a backup. But if I had a new buddy in the lineup, that'd yeah. be fine. That'd be fine. So I just looked, and I've heard about Reverend. We've all heard about Reverend guitars. Very few of us actually play them, but we've all heard the name. They've been around a long time, well-respected. Um, and so I checked out- Kid this, Rock used to endorse them. That's how long they've been around. I didn't know that. Well, that's- That having, a, having Kid Rock as your endorsee would be a value add to the brand. That's how long they've been out. That's, oh, back since back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, it, it was back then. Since when he was a plus, yeah. Yeah, it was either him, it, it was like him and Reeve Gabriels plays them. Right, yes. yes. And now Billy, I think Billy Corgan's got a signature. He does, and all that he stuff. does. Anyway, I looked at this double agent, which is uh, an offset, and there are two versions of it. There's the OG, which stands for mm -hmm. original guitar. Oh, not gangster. No, original guitar. And there's the W. And the difference between them is the OG has a hardtail and has a rounded shoulder, and mm -hmm. the W has kind of a pointier, not pointy, but a more pronounced upper bout and has a Wilkinson trim 
uh, bridge, hence the W. And um, yeah. I started looking at them. And here's the other thing: I'm a sucker for a shiny guitar. Both of my both of my players are one is a red flake metallic Strat knockoff, and the other is a gold top Agile Les Paul knockoff. And uh, as I was looking through their colors, I started googling for metallic Reverend Double Agent, and I found that there is a special edition that is gold flake and there's a special edition that's blue flake but then mm-hmm. i started looking through their regular colors and there's this green they call outfield ivy that's like british racing green it's like so dark green it's almost black but yeah. it's also metallic flake so it shines in a pretty impressive way and i had to find a bunch of different photos and videos of it to see it in different kind of lights so i could really understand yeah. what the finish looked like but it's it's gorgeous it's gorgeous it's, it's a pretty looking guitar. I went and checked it out when you when you told me. Yeah, it's like pretty. when you said you said the outfield ivy. It was like that. I was trying to figure out what that was supposed to be, and well, then I went on the website. Oh, okay, it's green. It's green. It's green. Outfield it's ivy. Just, I mean, I just took a minute. I assumed that we were talking like, um, like at uh, well, Wrigley it's Wrigley like Field, the, right? But yeah, but uh, these guys are from Ohio. Fenway so Pack. Yeah, it's not. They're not a. They're not a Massachusetts outfit at all. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know what the deal is, but. Uh, um, yeah, it's got uh, binding on the front, and it's got a roasted maple neck and fingerboard. And the thing about Reverend is they have a tone pot, but then also what they call a base shaping knob that does a base roll-off. So this guitar has a humbucker at the bridge and a P90 at the neck. So it's already mm-hmm. really flexible in terms of the tones it can do. But then between having controls on the guitar for top end roll off and bottom end roll off, which is really very unique. It's got a lot of range in terms of the kinds of tones it can make. So I'm excited to play with that. It gets here tomorrow and I guess I'll follow the guidance to leave it in the box for 24 hours. I guess. (laughs) Do you ever follow that guidance? No, no. Yeah, I might not. We'll see one way or another. I will, I will, I will uh, give a full report on, on it um, next week. Cool. Yeah. The, yeah. The, and I remember playing Reverend's like literally back turn of the century. Mm-hmm. And uh, always I liked the way they played. Yeah. That was back when they, they were doing the ones that had the corrugated like metal, like they were built similarly to the way the Dan Electros were back in the day where they were like hollow with a solid core. Mm-hmm. And, and so they were more of like that old school kind of automotive kind of vibe. Yeah. And they played really well, and and the shape was always something I didn't always resonate with. But like I'm looking on their site right now, and they've got the Greg Koch Gristle 90 signature, mm-hmm. which is basically it's like an it looks like a neck through telly <laughs> with P90s yep. and uh, and a and a Bigsby, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, I would play the crap out of that. Yeah, they do really good work, and I think that uh, the other thing th- there's a lot of very player friendly um, features to it. It's got locking tuners. The tuners have a tension adjustment. You can actually tighten the tuning machine uh, mm-hmm. tightness. I'm looking for a better word, but so that it it won't slip at the tuning machine, and, and, and which improves the the tuning stability. Yeah, it's got this Wilkinson bridge, which I've I, I have not been familiar with. I've done some research on it. It is um it's it is apparently fully as mobile as a Floyd Rose, but way easier to deal with. And, yeah, I um. I've had a, I've had one, I've had a guitar with that, with the Wilkinson style bridge. They are very solid as far as trems go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big dive bomb guy, but uh, who knows? Maybe I will be now that I've got a yeah. guitar coming. Might be do fun to have a wiggle stick. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's very exciting. No 
big things on the horizon. I I I did uh, reach out to the guys in the the Cure Tribune. I'm going to go see them on Saturday. They're doing a two night stand at the venue that uh, wow that's down in Avondale, the 37 Main. Sweet. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. I haven't been to a show as a as a civilian in a while. It'll be fun. Um, I did get the the Turbo Sound IP 1000 repaired, and I thought it it was such a fun uh, experience that I made a video about it. And that's what's going out this week on uh, the YouTube channel. And we were just talking about a uh, next week's topic. Yeah, let's tease for that. A video. I'm very excited about the inside scoop is that we th- everybody's talking about chat GPT and Dan was kind of like, oh, yeah, no, this is actually really cool. And so I went in and messed with it. And like I was trying to get it to write scripts for the YouTube channel. They were terrible. It's not very good at that. Um, and I couldn't find like a, a practical use or anything that was particularly useful or interesting to me. And then on, again, on the Slack channel today, Dan was like, so I went into ChatGPT and I started feeding it set lists and told it to generate some. So that is what we are going to do. We're going to do that experiment to see if ChatGPT can, in fact, build suitable cover band set lists using AI. Yeah, So and here's the spoiler, it's scary good. Yeah. Better than it should be. Better than it should be. I, I, you know, just like anything else coming out of it, you wouldn't want to like turn it in as your homework without a manual human pass. Yeah. But uh, boy, it gets pretty close. Well, let's not let's not give too much away okay. because fine. The next week, the divulging and the discovery is a part of the uh, of the really fun part. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Good. so be on the lookout for that. I've already got. I've, it was one of the things where like it popped in my head, and I was like, ooh. And I actually wrote the script on it like immediately. So excellent. Should be good to go for next week. And um, let's see, were there any other housekeeping things before we start kind of shifting gears? Let's, uh, well, there's, there's a medical item. Yeah. So this isn't something that we normally put out there, but I feel like, I don't know, Dan and I have been looking at the numbers and our, our audience has gotten fairly big in a way that is strange and uh cool <laughs> and as we but, look um, at the stats we can't quite explain it it, it doesn't follow nope. patterns that have historically been the patterns so we don't quite yep. know what's going on yeah i mean so last month we uh which just ended february mind you it's a short month um we were at ten thousand nine hundred and twenty six total streams and downloads mm. down only slightly from the month before, which was 11,196. And I mean, you had three whole more dates. Um, so it's a, we're, it's big. And we were we at six, we 65,000 for the whole last year. Yes. So yeah, we're. Something we're, big happened we're, in January and February. Yeah. But we don't want to take that for granted. Hmm. And if there is ever an opportunity for us to do something good with the amount of ears that are picking this up, Figured it would be worth sharing here. So there is a member of our community. He posts fairly regularly on the on the Facebook group. And I've known him or of him. We've been in mutual circles for the past 20 some odd years. A guy named David Lynham, who plays drums in a group called Get Sideways. They're based in the Gulf area of Alabama, Mississippi, that whole situation. And they're like, they're huge in that area. And David's got some issues with his kidney. And he's kind of running out of time before it, he's due for a for a transplant. So he's looking for a donor. He's looking for somebody who's a good match. And with his permission, 
I reached out just to say, hey, is this okay or not? And he said it was, we are going to include the link to fill out a candidacy form for, for a kidney donation to get David a new kidney so he can continue doing what he does so well. And I know that there's a lot of folks out there who may be able to help. So check for those in the show notes of this week's episode, and there'll be, you know, all the information needed in order to do that. So yep. Um, yep. filling out the form and finding about your match doesn't obligate you in anything. Um, you know, it's worth just kind of asking yourself about something you'd be willing to explore. So, yeah. So cool. Yeah. So best of luck to, to David and yep. we'll, if things kind of progress from there, we'll keep you guys posted on yeah. what that looks like. Yeah. With that being said, it's a special, special week. You know why? Because we have something to talk about. That's right. And did we come up with it? We did not. We did not. So this is a magical week where one <laughs> of you lovely listeners who may be a potential kidney donation match yeah. um, sent an email who wanted to get our take on things. And this is a good topic. It was, you know, right off the bat, I was like, yes, this is something... We should be talking about... And honestly, um, I'm not sure we've ever really covered it. I feel like we have gotten into it. I know we've talked a lot of on the gear side yeah. and around the general operational side, yeah. but, but it like, bears repeating. How to really do it. I mean, we've maybe never really dug into it. So Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, get, to, get to the meat of it. This comes from Brian Gray, and he plays in a band called The Backroads. And uh, his message goes like this. Hi, guys. I'm wondering if you would be up for discussing the nitty gritty of doing your own sound in an upcoming episode. Since all my band's gear is at my house, I have become the de facto sound guy for my band. But other than listening to and playing music, drums specifically, I have no experience with this. Any chance you guys could talk a little about how you manage your band's sound at gigs? Any basic tips for those of us who fumble around with the sound and then get on stage and hope it all works out? Uh, they're using a Behringer XR18 yep. uh, with a moderately priced EV subwoofer and PA setup. So that's Brian from the Backroads. You can find him at facebook.com slash the Backroads Durham. D-U-R-Ham. So okay. we've got ourselves a digital mixer and we've got a basic PA. It's a great place to start. Um, yep. And let's. I'm looking at the lineup here. Uh, we've got, looks like... Three guitars, bass, and drums. Lead vocalist plays acoustic, it looks like. And they are running live amps. So okay. I don't see wedges, though. Okay. That indicates that perhaps they are using in-air monitors with this set. Well, I think we need to back up and just answer this as if we don't know that. Because okay. um, the story changes a lot, depending on whether you're using live monitor speakers versus in-ears. Um, yes, I have a place that I want to start talking about this. Do you have a, do you have a way in that you care about? Cause I, I kind of do. The thing that I always want to start with when you're dealing with sound is gain staging. Yes, exactly. That's my, that's way the in most too. important place. Well, Let's the, start at the very beginning. It's the first place, a very fine yeah. place to start. Yeah. For the uninitiated gain staging is setting the amount of juice that the mic input is getting coming into the mixer. That's right. So each, it's kind of each like of those inputs, the pre-volume. Yeah. Each of those inputs on your mixer, your Behringer or whatever it is, 
has a physical preamp, right? That literally the gain page in the app that drives that device is changing the voltage of, it's a physical thing. And because every input has different level, right? A mic has different level coming in than a guitar and my guitar coming in from my modeler, <laughs> it's level totally depends on where the volume knob happens to be set at today. Who knows? I've gotten pretty good at checking that, making sure it's always in the same place, but your folks might not be ready for that. Or for that matter, the mic coming off of their amp may be in a different position on the cone. Their amp might be set to different volumes. You never know. So the line, the signals coming into the mixer, the first thing you got to do is look at that and set the amount of gain, the amount of voltage you're going to put on that input to a level that makes the input coming onto the mixing board appropriate. So and why is setting the gain on a channel coming in the most important thing to do at the beginning of this process? Because everything else depends on that being done properly. The whole rest of the whole mixing process cascades off of that. So if your gain is too low and you're trying to push volumes up on the fader and in the mix, what you're also going to be pushing up is the noise floor. Yep. And uh, which means you're going to get like whatever the ambient background, you know, listen, if you've got an overhead mic on the drums and it's not gained properly, you're going to start picking up a lot of bleed as you bring it up in volume to hear it, hear the cymbals and whatnot in the mix. Yep. Um, if the gain is too high, what you risk is overdriving that input. Distortion coming out of an amp is a nice thing. We really like that. Distortion coming out of a preamp on the mixer, very much not nice. You don't want no. that. And so for each input, you need to make your way around the inputs with the players playing at hopefully gig volume. That's really hard to do at soundcheck. They yep. almost certainly won't. You should know that they're as the, as the show starts and their adrenaline is running, they'll be playing and singing harder than they are at soundcheck. But for each input, you want to set the gain so that it is not peaking, not in the red, really probably not much in the yellow, but at around the top of the green. That's what you're, that's what you're aiming for. Yeah. If you have a visual readout, you want a good jump. Good jump. You, you want it to go up pretty high yeah. in the register. Bounce right Not out. too high, but you want to, I would say in the top two thirds, if you were splitting yeah. That kind of, yeah. that area in the thirds. Yeah. And once every input is there, you have, you've established a good gain stage. And from there, you got a lot of room to mix. So the other thing to mention regarding why you don't want to, you want to get gain staging right at the beginning is that if you don't, and you decide that you have to increase the gain during performances, yeah. you are screwing everybody's mix up who's That's right. using that channel. That's right. So if, if the front of house, if you're the engineer listening in front of house and you're like, I'm at the top of the fader for that guitarist and I still need more of him. Let me go gain him up a little bit here in the middle of things. Well, that yep. gain affects every other mix. So if you've got in-ears, you've got monitors, you've got anything else happening, these can be brought up in every mix, whether you want that or not. And mostly you don't. So yeah, you want you want to set the gains at sound check and then really not touch them again. Yeah, I've had to have very stern conversations with people we've hired to run our sound 
where I in the at the end of the first set, I I have to say, don't ever adjust the gain after downbeat. Yeah. Because when I'm on like when we're on stage, there's literally nothing we can do about it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like everything it, like my mix is destroyed and I can't fix it. And uh, yeah, no, that's bad. Yeah. So don't do that. Don't do that. So good, nice, healthy signal coming in. That's what we want ultimately. Yep. Not distorted, um, but plenty of it. And, you know, there is a methodology that a lot of people use. If you're looking at it from a linear standpoint, typically drums are going to be the first things that you're going yes, to put in. Usually. And then vocals would be last on that list. So that's good practice. Make sure that since you're using a digital mixer, you can label everything. Mm -hmm. And I actually just sent this to you. And uh, this can be a little sweetener for these guys specifically and anybody who may have this. Behringer released a set of presets that you can install on your X32, any of the X-Air stuff that are tweaked effects settings for specific types of instruments. Mm. So it's got multiple kind of kick presets and tom presets and bass presets and acoustic guitar presets and male vocal presets yeah so that and what in 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 those particular units they have a set of effects that you can use um noise gate compressor there's also feeds to reverb eqing all of that good stuff so yeah um it because this is saying hey we're we're starting at the ground floor I, I'm, I'm a fan of starting with presets because I think they can potentially get you mm. in the neighborhood of where you need to be. Yeah. And then you can kind of, you can use that as the, um, the kind of base level to then start kind of tweaking it to cater to your specific, you know, your specific sound, your specific needs. Definitely. Definitely. Should we talk about the components of that? Cause I think out there in the world, I hear a lot of like, I don't understand what compression is it's sort of that kind of, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, I think if we're, if we're sticking with basics, yep. I think everybody should know about EQ because yes. every, if, if, even if you don't have a digital mixer with a compressor, every mixer is going to have some form of EQ yeah. in some particular Fair. fashion. Yeah. So I think EQ is something we're talking about. Uh, and, and if you are, if you have a physical mixer, we're actually just working our way down That's right. the, the channel, channel strip. strip. So that's right. So the next thing would be EQ. Next thing um, would be EQ. Now you're lucky in that the Behringer has a, par a parametric EQ on each input. Yep. Um, and that's a good thing. So when you look at the parametric EQ, you're looking across, as you look at it from left to right, it's low to high frequencies. And the line across it, which may or may not be spiked with various things, um, is the amount of volume cut or boost at each of that free each of those frequencies as you go left to right and the amount of we'd say shoulder that each of those boosts has how wide that peak is or how narrow so parametric eq is a really good thing and why is that adam well it gives you the ability to be very precise and surgical yep. if you know what you're doing yeah but if you aren't really familiar with how those things work i think the if there's anything that you need to know about in regards to EQing, it's high pass and low pass filters. Yeah. If I'm being honest, yeah. And what those spe those specific things are ways for you to tune out particular, like 
swaths of yeah. to, to frequencies. Put a, put to put a bottom or a top on yeah. the, the range that an instrument's giving you. And do, that is a great thing to do for most of your instruments because it can, if you don't know how to EQ things properly, it can get very muddy very fast. Yeah. And the easiest way to make sure that your instruments aren't stepping on each other is to make sure that they only take up a particular space in the frequency range. So uh, you don't need your guitar tone taking up the same neighborhood that the kick drum and the bass would normally occupy. So you would put, you would basically just put the filter on and push it up so that some of those low, some of those lower frequencies aren't being captured. Yeah. And you might say to yourself, well, my guitar doesn't go as low as a bass. What do you mean? Low frequencies? Sure. The reality is there are subharmonics that drop down that low. And if you use low and high pass filters to notch in just the range you want out of it, you're actually tuning that guitar, not tuning its strings to pitches. That's not what I mean. You're dialing in the EQ effect of it in a way that gives it its own space, its own breathing room. Now, just like everything, you want to make small adjustments in this, all right? It's really easy to overdo this. I was handed the tablet at a friend's gig one time. And I, I had noticed like his lead vocal seemed like, uh, like it's kind of, it was like, what was that? It's kind of like, mm-hmm. that was what I was hearing. And, um, and I opened up his EQ and there was a low pass shelf on it down to, I don't even remember the number, but like two, two, 2000 Hertz. So it was like, like a lot of his high end was crushed down. And I yeah. just opened that back up and suddenly he was crystal clear. And I saw him react to it on stage. Like, <laughs> it's like a moment of like, oh, I, I exist. So you don't want to make big moves about this. Remember that three decibels is enough to have the experience of doubling a volume. So um, you want to make notice that they like nobody refers to sound though as bells. Yeah, no, it's only tens of bells. It just seems like, man, it was like six bells, you know? And it, so decibel is a decibel a tenth of a bell? Must be. Yeah. Six bells would be 600 deaths. That'd be really loud. That's a lot of bells. It's a lot of bells. It's a lot of bells. Well, it's six. It's actually not that many, but they're big, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right. So EQ is, uh, is a whole discipline. I would really recommend Googling it. There's some charts out there that show you the critical ranges for different sort of instruments. And, and you want to be careful not to cut out, you know, you could knock a kick drum down to just the meat of the kick and you wouldn't get any of the sort of slap, any of the, you know, attack Attack. of it. And you'd be sorry. That would be, you'd be, you'd be losing out unless that's an artistic choice you're making. I don't want to take that off the table. Um, but uh, I think to sum this up, EQ is a thing that we couldn't, is not something that you're going to understand in the, we're not going to cover it. Like in breadth of a podcast, like a 40 minute podcast. It's not. Yeah. 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 If you have a physical, sorry. Well, I'm just saying you should play with it. You should, you should experiment with it. You should, um, if you are, we need to have a talk here at some point tonight about what it is to be mixing from stage while playing. Yep. I've never done that while being a drummer. I bet that adds some complexity. Yes. Um, but that's a whole thing too. Yeah. So yes. And if you've got like a physical mixer, it's a lot less complicated and maybe less surgical. Yeah. You may get, you may have a three band EQ. You may have a five band EQ. 
if your instrument tends to do low things, turn up low. If you want to accentuate the upper range, tweak the high part. There is a bit of fiddly fiddliness to it, and there is no uh, single school of thought. Um, but do your research, yeah, uh, and and just work from there. Yep. Now, once you got EQ happening, you mm -hmm. are then going to slide faders around until you think you've got a mix that kind of works. Yep. The next thing you're going to do is rehearse like that and feel like it's good. Then you're going to go to a stage somewhere and find out that you're in a new room that has new requirements. Yep. So every room has uh, a resonant frequency, not just one, several that are based on the physics of that room, the literally the physical distance between the walls, the materials the walls are made of, and the floor, the ceiling height, the physical distance between, the amount of physical space in that room is going to accentuate, sometimes really significantly, particular frequencies and pitches. Um, the place I do the karaoke at has a really harsh high end, and I have to bring the high end down um, which in another room would sound really muffled, but the reality is that room is bringing my levels back up to actually sounding okay in that space, because that's what happens with the resonant frequency. It's enhancing, it's increasing the resonance of certain frequencies. So if you have an EQ that allows you to do it and on that Behringer, uh, you do the, the main out has a, not a parametric EQ, it has a graphic equalizer. And I think yep. it's. 24 bands, something like that. It's pretty high resolution. Um, and so the risk is you're going to just walk in there with your mix that you set up happily in your practice room and turn on all the mics and the whole room is going to start feeding back on a certain frequency and your whole system is going to start to just scream out loud. You're going to have a major feedback problem. And so the trick then is to use your EQs to notch down the frequencies that the room wants to amplify. Yeah, And um, this is a term uh, sometimes used for monitor speakers, but also for mains in a big room. The term is called ringing it out. Yeah. So what's your ring out process, Adam? What do you do? Uh, I pay somebody to do you it. You pay somebody to do it. All right. Well, <laughs> I don't get paid, but I do it. Now, I, I think in, in our situation, because so much of our setup is silent mm -hmm. for the most part, mm -hmm. We don't have, we don't like, there's some day there's like the, the live band karaoke thing was the last time our front of house guy tuned the room yep. to the system. Yeah. And it was just because we brought live drums on that show. Uh, normally if we're running everything direct, we may not sure. do it for three or four gigs in a row. hundred percent. And in-ear monitors make this a lot, a lot easier. If you don't have a lot of speakers putting a lot of noise into the space, your, your requirements to, to deal with this go way, way down. And, you know, I, I know for a lot of people, it's a budget thing. And I know for a lot of people, it's a preference thing. But the reality of the situation is that the more sources of sound that the band is creating, the more chaotic and difficult it is to manage yeah. your stage. Yeah. Um, because the, if you're thinking about it, a band with amps running wedges in your typical PA has so many points of sound being emitted and they're being emitted in so many different directions yeah and if you have a room that's not designed for that it can get real real dicey yeah so if you 
want to minimize the amount of legwork you have to do for this kind of thing, going direct and going to in-ear monitors solves a lot of those problems pretty much immediately. Yep. So. Yep. But let's say you don't have that. Let's say you are a <laughs> wedges and amps kind of player. So Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. <laughs> we don't judge. Well, we judge. So here's what you do to ring out a monitor. Yep. Is you go to the mic in front of that monitor with your iPad or whatever that's running the mixer. And you stand in front of that mic and you bring that mic's level up. So first of all, there's this thing called a real-time analyzer. So it's it's the look at the graphic EQ, RTA. Yeah, the button will say RTA. It won't say real-time yep. analyzer. But real-time analyzer is what it is. And it's going to show you across the frequency, spe frequency spectrum what levels it's seeing. So you're looking at the graphic EQ and you can see how the system is responding to inputs, including inputs that are its own outputs, which is what we call feedback. Yep. So you go to your mic, you turn up that mic's fader, not its gain, but it's fader mm -hmm. until it feeds back. And when it does, you look at that RTA and you see where that spike is and you take the parametric EQ for that channel and you pull down exactly that frequency. Yep. All right. Until the feedback stops. Then you keep going. You bring the mic up some more until another frequency starts to feed back and then you notch that out. And then if you aren't, if you don't, still have enough headroom that you want. This is the point. You're earning headroom. You're knocking out the frequencies that are preventing you from having mixing headroom. Um, but you can keep going that several times until you have notched out the frequencies that want to feed back in this particular physical setup. And by the way, move that mic three feet to the left. It's all different. Totally different ballgame. So once you've done that, you bring the mic back down to where it was and you're very happy now because you know you have that much more room on the fader before that setup starts to feed back, right? You could do that with the mains in the big room too, in across the whole space, um, if the mains are causing you trouble. Now, a lot of us who have tower systems set the mains up halfway back the band set up and use them as monitors sometimes. And so mm -hmm. that can be kind of problematic. There is, the Behringer doesn't have it, but my Soundcraft UI24R does, and some other things do, some automation around this. So there's a DBX function that is a feedback suppressor that is actively looking to detect frequencies that are suddenly spiking, and it'll put a, a parametric notch on those in real time. Um, I've never found that to be totally bulletproof, but it's not terrible. Yeah. So you do that on all of your monitors, all of your mics, all of your you know, everything that there is that could possibly feed back. And then, you know, you've got your system pretty darn well under control in terms of runaway um, input. Yeah. And then like beyond that, it's just a matter of being good stewards of the stage. Yeah. There is the running joke of the, you turn, you have your guitar set up and then you turn it up again yeah. when the show starts. If you can avoid doing that, will especially if you were running your own sound that will keep things from getting out from under you because the real issue is that you don't have the luxury of being able to mix the room during sound check in a room that's full of people. Right. Yeah. People soak up you, sound like crazy. Yeah. And, and also they occupy certain frequencies. They're stupid yeah. meat stuff that sounds Crystal clear can sound muffled when there's a bunch of Talk, skin bags talking to run it skin through. Talking skin bags. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then, you, so you got the people who are like, I can't hear the da, 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 which is my favorite. And it's the reason why I, uh, I live in the monitors, but yeah. you are going to have to be somewhat flexible and able to tweak things on the fly. These digital mixers do give you the ability to do that. Yeah. Um, but and, and by the way, to save, possible, I have presets in. Uh, not with my current setup, but my last one, when I was on that same Behringer device, mm-hmm. I had presets set up with EQs that were right for each of the rooms I had played in before. So I saved- Yeah, so you can save scenes, you can save scenes on those mixers. Like, yeah, this is what this room's EQ needs to be. This is what that room's EQ needs to be. It's never perfect when you get back in there, but it's pretty okay starting point. Yeah. And that's what you're dealing with is you're always dealing with either existing systems or getting things set up for the first time. So my suggestion would be, if you are in fact starting out, would be to find somebody, hire somebody Mm. who could run your setup for you, either at a rehearsal or at what some people would call like a tech rehearsal, where you set everything up like you're doing the show and just have somebody do all of those things once and save that as a scene because if nothing else it gives you a good platform to to start with when you go into a new room and have to adjust things tweak things uh account for just all the different factors yeah yeah because hopefully by the time downbeat starts your only job is to like ride faders a little bit here and there just to account for again the talking skin bags that are affecting the way the room sounds um that's what ultimately what you want to have by the time go time is upon us yeah now as somebody who mixes from the stage i'm very much a set and forget kind of guy so i have my mix dialed in from rehearsal many rehearsals over many times i've saved them as scenes we're good to go i roll in and i'm awful close to my final mix not my final eq because it's different in every room but final mix And then I do sometimes have to respond to my fiddle player didn't eat her Wheaties and she's just not playing as hard as she's used to. So I have to turn her up a little bit, whatever stuff like that happens as a guitar player. I can kind of fake that. I can kind of do that between chords. Mostly though, I don't even do that. I wait until break unless there's something really egregious that I have to fix right away. In which case I'll even pause between songs to do that. If it's really a problem. Um, Yeah. But mostly we'll muddle through until break, and then I will make a point of asking the venue, asking the bartender or somebody, sound okay? Mix sounds all right? You hear buddy? And they'll usually say, yeah, 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 fine, even if they haven't been paying any attention. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is that a lot of the stuff that we sweat is not noticeable. Does the audience care? Like, yeah. And, but if those, if there are things that people do care about, it's harsh frequencies and feedback. Yep. So if you can keep those things from rearing their ugly head during your performance, the rest of it's pretty much okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much else to it. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure everybody can hear everything and that they don't, you don't pierce their eardrums. Yeah. And um, being a live sound engineer is a, to me, feels like a a double-edged sword because it does require a certain amount of skill and you have to have a certain working knowledge of all of these things. But I've also met a lot of people who run front of house and they're not very good at it or like competent, capable people. And I only say that because I 
have friends who have worked for production companies and dealt with that and being literally just being a person who knew things made them like a one they were the lead they were the right. project manager like from the jump yeah just because they showed up and they were like oh okay so we do this now yeah. and then everybody's like oh oh, oh okay he's he, yeah he spoke confidently yeah he must be the boss so <laughs> so it can be intimidating and yeah. and there's definitely a lot to learn but yeah um now i will say i've i've worked with front of house people who really knew their stuff and could run a yes. sound check like a military operation and that's super valuable i played a place yes. one time that had separate I, I, i've i this is going to say something about the kind of venues i play um because one time i played a place that had separate front end and monitor engineers different guys at mm -hmm. different boards and yeah. uh and that was pretty cool that was pretty cool that's schmancy yeah very cool one time so yeah <laughs> I've done it a couple of times, but now I bring my own board. Right. It's like, no, yeah, you don't good. need a, you don't need a monitor engineer. It's all dialed in. Like I'm the monitor engineer sorry, and sorry. they're kind of like, sweet. This one of those things I got to worry about. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I was talking about, um, just to, I had this thought back to gain staging back to the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mentioned that the, the volume dial on my quad cortex is, a mm -hmm. input that is potentially different between inputs. The latest build of the firmware actually lets you say which outputs are going to be controlled by the volume dial. Yeah. And I haven't done it yet, but I, my plan is to turn off the volume dial's control over my main stereo out into the board so that it's always just getting hundred percent and I'll just work with what I'm getting and no amount of variation on that's going to impact anything about my setup. That, that's really how you want it. If you can yep. talk your guitar since a memorizing their amp setup and always having it the same. That's really what you want. Yeah. Uh, not to flex or anything, but the, um, the, the Helix has been doing that for like the, the entire time. Yeah. I know. And um, on my stop, I just switched everything over to line level output. So uh -huh. that knob does literally nothing. Right. Um, and it's great. Yeah. I'll let it dial the headphone volume probably, but yeah, that's what I use mine for. Yeah. Yep. Uh, any other parting words? I think we gave people just enough to uh, be dangerous. It is, yeah, it really is. This is a topic we could do a whole podcast on, like many episodes. Like a, like a separate series. Yeah, a whole like, separate, you know, yeah, sound engineer confidential. But yeah. but let's not. I think we've given people enough to get started. Loved some feedback from, you know, people who mix themselves from the stage. What sort of trouble have you gotten into? What sort of advice do you have for other people who do that? I think it'd be a really cool conversation to have. If you'd like more information about this kind of thing, we released a, it was at the time, a Patreon exclusive episode called Soundcheck 201 with Ben Ivey, who was the original front of house guy for members only, who is now working with Mary J. Blige. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. You know, he just, he went from members only directly to Look, Mary J. Blige. That's the path. It makes total sense to me. hundred percent. We can put a link in the show notes for folks to check that out 100 all right guys thank you very much for for checking this out big thanks to brian and the back roads in durham for asking the question and uh, if you have anything that you would like to hear us talk about tell us coverbandconfidential at gmail.com the other way that you can hear us talk about your band is to leave a review no review this week but i'm confident that somebody will hear this and they'll just they'll be really like oh it's my week it's my time now now yeah 
that's all that I got. Appreciate all of y'all. There's lots of links in the show notes. So be sure to go through all of those and do the things. Yeah. Um, I did what is, how do you want to handle, because I, I do have the those presets. Do you want to maybe just have people you email know, us and we I, can just- I believe that the as I look at those, I recognize them from the UI. I think they're built in. They may be. I think they are. But if they're not, if, all right. If you go into your XR and there are no presets, email us, coverbandconfidential.gmail.com. <laughs> we'll we will we'll email it to you. Yeah, Sound good? There you go. Cool. All right. If that's all there is to it, then I will go ahead and call it for this week. In Atlanta, Georgia, I'm Adam Johnson. In Greensboro, North Carolina, I'm Dan Ray. You have been listening to the Coverband Competition Podcast for the week of March 3rd, 2023. And that's how you rock more and suck less. Hey, listener, this is Adam Moskowitz of the Van Band out of South Florida. Yes, another Adam. Adams are taking over the cover band scene. Get used to it. Sorry, Dan. On behalf of Cover Band Confidential, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Now, I know you want to support this cast, so this is how you do it. You subscribe, you leave a five-star review, you share this episode with your musician friends, and you throw a screenshot on your story. And you go ahead and you follow the podcast on all their socials. You got Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all of them. These gentlemen, Adam Johnson of Members Only and Dan Ray of The New Strange, have graciously given us vast amounts of great content. So as a thank you, go ahead and send them some green energy on their Patreon page. For real, send them some digital coins. And when you do that, you'll get access to the Slack back channel, which is just musicians and band leaders chatting about the craft of being in a performing cover band. Who wins? The losses. The behind the scenes goodness. If you play at least once a month for money, all I'm saying is break off a few bucks for your favorite podcast that you always listen to. Any questions, comments, hit up the Facebook group, send a text or voicemail to their hotline. That's 404-491-0910. You can also email coverbandconfidential at gmail.com. If you'd like, you can find my band on Instagram, Facebook, at VAMBAND. That's V-A-M BAND. Do it. Seriously, I want to see that CBC bump. Or you can find everything you need at VAMBAND.com. We started in 2019. We play funk, pop, soul, R&B, Motown in Southeast Florida. I play guitar and backup vocals at Adam Moskowitz Music on IG. Also follow the CBC host on IG. That's at Adam Patrick Johnson and at Dan Ray Musician. Or visit CoverBandConfidential.com for all the goods. I'm going to go ahead and call it for Adam Moskowitz in Boca Raton, Florida. That was your outro bumper on Cover Band Confidential. Always be performing! Always be performing!